They want me to get rid of my dog. Can they do that? I'm being fined for leaving my garage door open too long. What are covenants? Do I have any rights? Help, I feel like I've left the American Zone. If you want the answers to those questions, join me, Shu Bartholomew, and my guests on The Commons every Saturday from 2 to 3 right here on WBR Fairfax Radio. We'll ask the experts and we'll untangle the truth about what's left of our property rights. On the Commons is a weekly radio show dedicated to discussing the many issues surrounding mandatory membership homeowners associations. Join us as we explore this relatively new world of controlled living, which includes condominiums, cooperatives, and both attached and detached single-family homes. Living in a common ownership development means giving up the American dream. It means giving up your constitutional rights and control over your most valuable asset, your home. Living in a homeowners association means leaving the American zone. This is On the Commons, and I am Shu Bartholomew. Joining me on the Commons today, we have my old friend Bill Davis. Bill always has a whole plethora of stories and bizarre goings-on in HOA land because he's out there dealing with them. Uh, If you're brand new to the show and you've never met Bill before, he's an attorney in Texas, in the Austin area, and he actually handles homeowner cases for homeowners versus their HOAs. So, Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Good afternoon, Shu, and thank you so much for the wonderful intro. Uh, yes, I represent the homeowners, not the HOAs. You represent the homeowners, and I just love it that you do that because you are by far one of the most creative attorneys I know who can come up with all kinds of different ways of looking at things, and you come up with things that we never think about. And one of as an example, we were talking before we started broadcast, before we started recording, and some of that I want to bring up because I think you made some outstanding points. So, so anyway, Bill, thank you. How's uh, how's everything going? You, you got a lot of cases. Got a number of cases, uh, obnoxious HOAs. Uh, well, really obnoxious people running the HOA, you know, type of thing. And uh, same thing, isn't it? Right. <laughs> but the weather today here is wonderful. It's about 76 degrees, nice and sunny, and, you know, fall is in the air. Thank goodness we're out of the hot and humid weather, I hope, for now. Uh, so it makes it easier to work. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's raining. It's cooled down considerably. All the leaves are falling off the trees, which means people are slip-sliding around on the wet leaves and uh, coming into the studio there were several accidents with just about every piece of emergency equipment Fairfax County owns blocking the roadways. So <laughs> we're, we're stuck with that. I have to say we don't have too much color here. It's pretty much brown or green, although we get a little bit of red and yellow, maybe a little bit briefly in the fall, but not for much. It's you know a lot of oak trees around here, so it's pretty much... Brown and green, maybe a little red and yellow occasionally. But uh, <laughs> well, it's the browns and the greens that are falling. Um, we haven't we haven't got our spectacular color display yet. Oh. But it can be just stunning when it happens. That's probably a month away. 
before we get the amazing colors. Send me some pictures. I will. I will. I'll do that. There's some beautiful, beautiful colors out there. The bright reds and the crimsons and the yellows and the oh. purples and the, oh gosh, it's gorgeous. And the browns and the light browns and the dark browns and the squirrels and the nuts. Both yeah. kinds. The real nuts, the acorns. And I the know it's beautiful, but the trade-off is I don't get snow here either, so at least not very much. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't. Sometimes we go for a whole year without getting it, so I like those years. I don't like snow. All right, Bill. I did an interview last week with a lady named Vicki McHale. Got a lot of feedback on that show, a lot of comments on that show. Vicki is a, a manager, so she tends to look at things a little bit differently except that I found we had more in common and we agreed more often than, than we disagreed. I think our big disagreement was her comment is get, shoot, they're here to stay, HOAs are. And then she's one of those who's tweaking them and trying to make them work. And as you know, I don't think you can, no matter what you do to them, make right. them work. So I want to talk a little bit about that. I, I learned something from Vicki, and I shared it with you before the show, and you brought up even more stuff. So I want to start there. And that is that, at least here in Fairfax County in Virginia, and apparently in California, and possibly everywhere else in the country, anytime a developer goes in, cap in hand, pocket full of change, it's not change, but gold coins to grease the palms of those at, at the municipal level, to be able to develop and build housing, he he or she has got to provide the municipality with what we call proffers over here, and I don't know what they're called anywhere else. And that's where you donate the land or build a school uh, or two schools or libraries or, uh, you know, um, emergency shout things in... And as a, you know, as a, in Syria they call it bakshish, um, you know, as a, as a bribe, basically, to be able to develop it. So that's not coming out of the developer's pocket. That's coming out of yours and mine. Right. And according to Vicky, 40%, 40%, almost half, of the cost of a new house goes to trying to recoup the outlay that the developer put out in these proffers. So homeowners are getting screwed for that. They're being dumped into an HOA because the county wants, city, whoever, wants the, the property tax dollars. The homeowners have got to pay the HOA. Then they're subjected to the whims and the nonsense that HOAs typically bring. And it just never ends. What is the true cost of living in 
in an HOA. Bill, you had some ideas on this. Well, I, I did. We were in a, other parts of the country. It's called an exaction. And, um, well, they also have things called impact fees. But impact fees are usually direct payment of money. And an exaction is the government puts some, uh, like, makes you do something with the land or puts some restrictions on the use of the land or things like that in order to get the development agreement. And in, I know many places in this state, the cities are just outright blatant about it. They, they go to the legislature and say, we absolutely require, as a condition of approving a development application, uh, that they have to impose an HOA. And it's like, okay, why? So the idea that people are choosing this is a joke. They're not choosing it. There's so many horror stories. Who wants to choose to be abused? It's just, you know, that's ridiculous. One of the problems financially, and I've been grabbing about that down here too, is, I mean, that number seems pretty high, 40%, but she's, it may be because of the state she's in. I don't know what the number is here, but I know it's pretty high. But my beef about it is, okay, the developer is, uh, well, here the developer can be completely different from the builder. So a lot of these giant subdivisions have a declarant and who may also be the developer. And then there's the builders um, who will uh, actually build houses in the subdivision. But the bottom line is the price of these things gets jacked up, and that's what the homeowners have to pay for these things that the local government imposed. The homeowners aren't going to own them, um, and they, but they get taxed. Not only does the government not pay, um, does not provide these services often, frequently, or, or, or features, um, uh, they may take them over in many places, but they, you know, they won't bear the initial cost. But the, the house prices these people pay is used to calculate the, the, you know, the appraisal value, therefore what they get taxed on. So they're getting taxed on something that they don't even own. And it's really unfair because it artificially inflates. Not only are they paying taxes and not getting services, but it's artificially inflating to the benefit of the local government the, quote, value of the house that the tax is based on. And that's just inherently unfair to the people buying in those places. If anything, they should be getting more services, not less. And, uh, you know, what's kind of crazy um, is the, the subdivisions tend to be higher density and all these other things. Um, and the, the county's not paying for roads. Meanwhile, the people in those subdivisions who, you know, it's right next door, houses, in many cases, they're practically touching. Reach out one bathroom window and you can touch yeah. the brick in another house type of thing. Okay, it doesn't take a whole lot of road to go from one place to another there, even if the county is or the city is paying for it. But at the same time, you have all these places that are ag-exempt, a large acreage. It's a lot more highway and things like that or farm to market or ranch road or whatever else to lay. And they're not paying, you know, a commensurate share. And so it's really weird. Those folks get huge discounts on taxes. Meanwhile, the people that live in these, higher density places are having to pay huge taxes, they're artificially inflated, and, and they don't get a corresponding service from the local government. So yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a big problem. I'm not anti-ag at all, but I, I just, I think the people in these places are really third-class citizens that are paying taxes, and it's time for a big tea party. I'm ready. I've got <laughs> lots of tea bags. Yeah. 
throwing one down here. So we'll bring we'll bring the tea bags. No, I agree with you, Bill, and I think that's what it's going to take. But in order for that to happen, I think that housing consumers and homeowners need to understand. They need to take those rose-colored glasses off and realize and understand that nobody is doing anything to protect them or their property. That's right. naive to naive to believe that. It's naive to just keep repeating it. It's time to maybe grow up, put your big boy and big girl panties on and say, all right, wait a minute, this isn't quite what we were told. They're fooled into believing the HOA actually has that as its purpose. I mean, that's just the biggest joke. You know, that uh, it's just a one huge fraud throughout the whole country. Oh, I know. They're, they're used to disenfranchise the homeowners, to deprive them of having a say on anything while shifting financial liability onto them and making their house security for all that. It's, it's insane. And it, it, it's but back in the late 60s, I believe it was, there was a Congress passed an act called the Federal Interstate Land Sales Full Disclosure Act. So if the subdivision was significant in size, like over 99 lots, you had to disclose a number of items. You had to prepare a, basically a property report and disclose, hand that out in disclosure to people buying lots. And in fact, the model for that was the Securities Act of 1933 or 34, I believe it was. And if you, and anytime somebody runs afoul of that act, they use the Securities Act as, in cases deciding the Securities Act violations, as example of determining punishment, liability, things of this nature. But essentially, it's like, it's treating land like stock. Okay, well, why is it any different now in these master plan communities? Because you get, you know, this thing is represented to you as, oh, it's going to protect values. It's a promise. It's the HOA. Isn't that kind of like a prospectus? And we've talked about that before. Well, what happens when you want to follow it? What happens when it's a complete lie? Why is it their liability to the developer doing this type of stuff? Well, what they've done here, you it's very hard to find a place where you can just buy a lot anymore, certainly in a place that's of any size, because there's exemptions to the act. And one of the exemptions is if you enter into a a purchase for a lot that includes a contract to build a house within two years, then it's exempt from the act. So guess what? All these master plan communities, it's, you, ne- you can't buy a lot. You can only buy, you can only purchase with a contract to build with a builder that's already been designated. You don't even get your choice of builder. And it's going to be further limited, you know, and other things. So they're exempt from disclosing. It's like, what are they afraid of? One of the things that's in there is it talks about the cost of ownership, what you're going to have to contribute over time to keep the roads and things like this done. Well, nowadays, I think it's known by, you know, you may not know it the first home you buy, but you kind of figure it out after you've gotten suckered once before. Now, these developers give an artificially low uh, assessment to start off with because why? Which may also be part of the cost that your uh, other uh, guest was talking about. They keep the cost artificially low. Why? Because it would scare people away from yeah. buying. Okay, so these people are fooled and believing, okay, that's the cost. Well, next thing you know, after there's a significant number of lots sold or even when the developer leaves, there's going to be a huge jump in assessment. Uh, the, the place where I just left, they increased, for uh, for 12 years, they increased 10% a year every year. Well, how do you have any portfolio that's performing like that? That's a pretty big increase, and the more increases, the faster the, the cost grows. You know, because it, it started off at $49 a, 
a month, well, you know, one year you increase five bucks, and then pretty soon you're up at 70. Now you're increasing seven dollars a month. Pretty soon you're up at a hundred dollars. Now it's uh, now it's uh, I'm sorry, uh, now it's gonna be ten dollars uh, per month per year with the next increase. It's like the increases are growing. Yeah, exponentially. Uh, yeah, it's it's just a, it's <clears throat> not it's not something that can be kept up with realistically. And normal taxes don't grow like that. Uh, normal costs shouldn't be growing like that. And it's only it's like a it's 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 no different than a. Uh, subprime loan that had an uh, adjustable rate mortgage, you know, and and I, you're going to have a lot more of these problems out there, um, just like you did in the subprime mortgage uh, context. People won't be able to keep up with the the money, and of course, the industry people are adamant that you have to keep all these facilities going. It's like no, you don't. There's no obligation to do that. You need to start shutting them down, closing them down, selling them off, or tear them to the ground in some. Uh, cases. It's just not, if that's the only choice you give, then that's what has to happen. If it had been a, a club of some kind or a workout center and you weren't happy with the increased cost or the condition of the place, okay, you join a different one. But it doesn't cost you your house or you stop going altogether. But it doesn't cost you your house. And yet these uh, industry people are convinced you just are, they're, they're, of course, they get paid to take care of it, insure it. And they're making a lot of money off this stuff, so that's why they want to insist it's an obligation moving forward, but it's not. You know, um, I, I don't want to dwell on this because it's, it's, a minor, it's a minor issue as far as I'm concerned. But before I started this show, before I did On the Commons, I co-hosted um, a show called HOA Talk. And we interviewed Wayne Hyatt then, who had written... A, who had written just written a piece, uh, you know, in, in for one of the law review journals, and in it he said, and I remember him telling us on on the air that usage of the amenities is way down. We're going back 20 years, yeah. and they knew that the pools and the tennis courts and you know all the other amenities that were sort of like these carrots were down. But yet they still built them. And my question was, why? Because the developers felt that it would enhance the sale of their properties. Right. It it was the fly paper to attract the flies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're no good. They're falling apart. Um, I know the place that we were at had a relatively small swimming pool. And it was held out as this, you know, jewel of the subdivision, which was a joke. Uh, the decking, you know, huge expenditures in 2006 to replace the decking and the, all the the pumps and the water, the you know, the water heaters, the gas heaters to heat everything up, and it didn't take long before all that had to be replaced again. Well, that's a wonderful thing for the vendors and the management company and the people selling, you know, insurance coverage and things like that. But it's not a very good thing for the homeowners, and it was unusable for large periods of time. It's like get rid of this thing. It's a losing asset. It doesn't sell homes. I, I don't understand this idea that it, it, you know, they try to market it as in, in, improving the value of your home. It doesn't improve the value of your home. First off, the homeowner doesn't own it, and the HOA is the one that sets whether you can use it at all or when it's open or anything else like that. But the homeowner's on the hook for helping pay for it. So it is really nothing but a liability. It is not an asset to the homeowner. And that, those types of things should not be considered when valuing a home in these places. So, well, if anything, the, the the assessment should be viewed as a liability when making a consideration 
But the other stuff should not be viewed as an asset. It could go away at any time, maybe unusable at any time. You know, it's just... Um, you know, if, you, if they don't like you, I mean, I've heard of people telling me that they've been banned from the pool, using the pool just because the board member doesn't, the president doesn't like you anymore and, and thinks that you're a pain in the neck. And right. therefore, e- even though you are paying for the maintenance of the pool, you may not use it. There's something really horrible about the way this whole thing is being used and abused. Right. And, and what what homeowners have told me, this is where the value for them comes in, is that there's a pool that they don't have to maintain that they can walk to. So, right. You, you know, and and that's that's the asset. Right there is the asset. It's in the neighborhood. I said, well, could you get in the car and drive to one that maybe somebody else owns, pay membership there? so that your house isn't being held hostage in case they m- make a bad financial decision and lose the pool? Okay. Well, n- you know, no, 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 I, I want to be able to walk down there. Well, okay, you can still walk down there. You just don't have to own it. Right. But, Bill, how can, we, how can we get that point across? How can people start to understand that? Well, I wish there was better, you know, I hate to... <laughs> education if you can't do anything about it like it doesn't do any good to force someone to be educated if they're not given an alternative choice I know in my subdivision the education was buying a home in there for everybody and after they bought a home most of the ones that I'm aware of that left where I knew them they were working really hard to try and find non-HOA property and these are not this isn't somebody that we're not part of some club or something like that this is all people we didn't know each other we came from different states, different professions, different ages, different familial status, and yet that was one thing in common. None of us wanted anything to do with an HOA again, if we could avoid it. But it's very, very hard, at least in this neck of the woods, to try and find non-HOA property. It's not just your neck of the woods. It's across the country, which is the absolute tragedy. Because with the Internet and the ability to telework from anywhere in the world and you can even be a doctor stationed in Paris and work for a hospital in New York and have you know be able to to visit your patients through uh, robotically the technology is there the technology is available so you don't have to be held hostage or captive in any one place you just have to unleash it and allow people to to work from wherever they want to work. In some cases, in in amazingly, in a lot of cases, that is a distinct possibility. Obviously, not every single case, but it can be done. So it's not like you have to live there, but there's no place to go. I mean, no matter where you go, you're going to be stuck in the same stupid, controlled environment. Right. And that's got to stop. That's got to stop. Well, there is a lot of civil unrest kind of going across the country right now. And I don't think that people realize I think they're targeting the wrong, a lot of it's the wrong thing. I don't think they realize there's other parts of the legal environment that are in that are contributing to these problems. And I, I personally think that HOAs are a big, are a big problem. 
I have to differentiate HOAs from condos. I know people lump those two together all the time, but I mean, to me, a condo is a very specific, exclusively statutory form of ownership. I can't really do anything about that. That's people have to go to the legislature for that. But HOAs, um, you know, unfortunately, um, it seems like the best way to deal with them is to try and put them out of business. And that because if they can't afford to go threatening people, suing them, doing this type of stuff, then all of a sudden the neighborhood is a decent place to live again. Um, but, but that's the only way it's going to work. And, of course, the HOA is uh, helped by the industry group that provides insurance to pay for, you know, if you file suit against the HOA, they're going to have, uh, for, for doing bad things, by the way, we don't, you know, the homeowners don't usually have tons of resources to go out and just willy-nilly go to uh, the HOA. The HOA has the homeowner's money from the whole neighborhood. And so they have the war chest to go threatening homeowners and suing uh, homeowners typically. And if the homeowner turns around and counterclaims or tries to initiate suit to stop the bad thing, that typically triggers an insurance policy where the HOA now, you know, doesn't really have to incur a whole lot of costs because there's going to be an insurance uh, carrier that's paying for it. There's no, there's no similar insurance product for homeowners. Why is that? Well, why, why is there this product to perpetuate the HOA problem and to help, you know, it really changes the playing field when the HOA is not on the hook for its behavior. Why is it that the attorneys who work for these um, insurance companies who actually end up in court, and I have had, I overheard one of them tell an attorney, we can't allow a homeowner to win. We cannot have homeowners winning. So if you're in an HOA, and you have the you, you you want to protect your rights. You want to be able to park it and you know whatever the whatever the issue is. It's like we can't allow them to win because that's not good for that's not good for us. What kind of thinking have we got to? Where have we got to in this country? That that's the pre, that's the prevailing thinking is that we can't allow individual property owners to win? I know, well, the last few years, my experience, for the most part, has been they want to settle, okay? Yeah, and, they don't want to lawsuit because they're losing them. Right? And so I don't know if it's so much that they don't want, and this may be a, a, a geographic thing. It may have just been a, a, a time change. It, you know, it may be the specifics about the management companies involved. I don't know. But they want to settle, and I think it's more that they don't want a judgment against them, regardless of whether it's a dollar amount or not. They don't want to have, you know, they want to see it uh, go away by uh, judgment. The, the uh, I've got a case now in San Antonio where this woman, she tried calling, having a members meeting. She paid to reserve a space. She sent out notices. She kept taking petitions of homeowners because that's how it works there. You have to have 10% of the homeowner's competition to cause the HOA to call a member's meeting. Well, they just refused. The management company would strike names for inexplicable reasons um, and uh, uh, or they simply wouldn't be responsive. And she kept trying again and again and again. She finally just paid money to reserve a place and said she'd like to have a meeting with her neighbors to discuss problems with the HOA. So the HOA 
board sends out a ugly letter to everybody saying this is an unauthorized meeting. The board has not authorized this. This is not a you know legal uh, members meeting. It's like you you have a right to you have every right to meet with your neighbors to have a discussion about things like that. But that's the kind of tact they took to try to quell you know people communicating or uh, working together with the board. She she was out the money that she rented for the place. Then they adopted a bylaw to try and change what it would to basically create more barriers for homeowners to be able to call a members meeting. Okay. And the members are the ones that are supposed to be in charge of the members meeting. Uh, when the board did call a members meeting, they didn't do it because of her petitions. They did it because they wanted to amend these bylaws. And the bylaw amendments all provided more power to the board and less opportunity for the members to do anything about it. They, Of course, the members didn't get anything except for the board's view of what these things were going to do. The board ran the members' meeting, and the only opportunity for members' discussion was placed on the agenda after the adjournment of the meeting. Okay, so that shows you the attitude. So what they try to do is prevent the members from communicating with each other they, by uh, eliminating the members' ability to uh, petition to call a members' meeting. They uh, extended the board members' terms, and they wanted a pre-suit mediation clause because you couldn't go to court. Um, now, this is only among the members and the board members and the management company, not the HOA. So the HOA could sue you. And it could, you know, it really it was all about protecting the board members and the management company. And of course, something like this isn't even binding on the management company because the management company is not subject to the bylaws or anything. But they wanted to do it to prevent, to continually create barriers to homeowners having any remedy, even an informal one, by meeting with their other neighbors to talk about problems or things like that, uh, to go to court and. I see this more often in the in the newer subdivisions where there, you know, uh, you talked about construction problems and, and defects and things in our conversation before the the meeting. Well, you know, they put in the restrictive covenants of all things, prohibitions against suing the developer or real limitations on what you know you could sue for. And of course, the HOA is the one with the cause of action, and most of the time, the HOA is going to be under the control of oh, the, the developer. developer. Yeah. So the developer, it's just like a board member. The, the, you know, this industry keeps talking about mini democracy. It's a joke because um, the, the, the getting on the board is immunity from anything, and it's that it's just an opportunity cause problems because you're immune from the HOA doing anything against you inherently since you're on the board. But they can't do anything about that. They're not allowed to talk about the subdivision. I've seen that in a number of them, although I think they finally realized they can't really do that but they want they want to hit you with violating a restrictive covenant if you talk negatively about the developer the subdivision or any of the builders in the subdivision you know basically regardless of how bad a job that they've done and you you can't get any remedy because they're not going to do anything they just want you to shut up so they can keep selling houses um they limit their liability for uh, construction defect um repair and, and remediation and remedies and uh, also uh, impose barriers to getting to court. You know, not every lawsuit is somebody seeking a gajillion dollars for, you know, uh, uh, some minor incident. They're trying to get this stuff fixed. Um, and uh, to, to me, I know I'm jumping all over the place 
here too, but you brought up the reserve studies. And, all <laughs> and, yeah, and you know, there's so much here, Bill. It's really hard I, to. It's, it, it, I, know, I, saw, I saw an analogy there. That's where I was going. This yeah. industry group, you know, if you read their public policies, they're promoting, oh, you got to have these reserve studies. This money has to be has to be put away and things like that. But what they conveniently neglect is, yeah, you pile up the money so they can steal it. Yeah. Because there's no regulation of these management companies or, you know, the, the insurance companies, really. They use surplus lines insurance in many places, so they're not really subject to state regulation very much. And uh, it's not that I want government control of everything, but the government has disenfranchised the homeowners from being able to do anything about it. So that is a place where it should be regulated. And you're talking about, you know, we, your examples of stairway, stairways falling off of buildings or... Uh, balconies just falling right off. Balconies falling right off a building onto a car below. And, you know, is that is that the board member's fault because they haven't adequately funded the reserves? Where are the inspectors who keep you know, who are being paid by all these dollars that these municipal governments are sucking out of everybody with, in terms of housing. Why aren't they making sure that these things are built properly? Should balconies right. be falling? Up? I mean, do do stairs fall collapse? Is that normal? I mean, that's there insane. Should, there should be at least a specified life for these things, and it has to last till that, and it maybe needs to be torn down afterwards. But the idea is going to continue on to perpetuity, which is sort of the stick your head in the sand that this is going to continue to perpetuity is ridiculous. Uh, and, and, but in Austin area, there was a, I think this case is still going through the courts. Um, there was a deck. Uh, it, was a, it was an outside deck. It was supposed to accommodate a large number of people. It fell down. Uh, there was something like nine people that died. Yeah. And 16 people injured. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's like, well, who should be responsible for that? And why wasn't that? Why was this being taken care of? I can drive around. Unfortunately, Austin is like all these other cities that, you know, this, this nonsense about, you know, I, I sound bad because I say it's, it's ridiculous to sustain things. Look, things have a useful life, and at the end of that, you need to reexamine things. But there is no sustaining these things forever. And the whole sustainability movement, they're even getting away from that now. They know it's negative implications about it. But they, they call it smart development instead of sustainable development uh, around here now. That's what they're trying to do. But, but the bottom line is, you can look at some of this construction on the condos, and it's like, my gosh, I'd be scared to death to go out in that, on that balcony. I can see how it's built. I'm not even sure. That looks like a wooden uh, uh, brace they're using instead of a steel brace for a cantilever for the, uh, for the concrete patio. And it's like, that's not going to that's not gonna last 30 years. You know, I mean, how are people supposed to know? And who's inspecting this stuff? It's it's horrible. And they're building them all. The city's just they've gone into this densification mode. You've heard all that with the oh yeah, concept. it's yeah, it, yeah, it's a new urbanist concept. And I've got stories to tell you about that. But you know, I come from a part of the world where buildings are still standing after thousands of years. Right. No, I understand. Yes, but not but not here. These these places aren't aren't des aren't designed or constructed to last anywhere near that period of time. They're falling apart. Uh, I, 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 I'm staying in a house uh, currently while we're preparing to build a house in a non-HOA location. Oh, save me a lot next to you. <laughs> but the house that we're in, it's, you know, in one of these, quote, master plan communities. 
where you know every fifth home is uh, maybe a different elevation, elevation, but it's the same model. There's only three or four builders allowed. You know this kind of nonsense. The shoes, the homes are kind of poor design on the inside for usability. The fixtures are the cheapest stuff. Some of the big look. I, I like the big box hardware stores. Don't get me wrong. I, I must go there three times a week, but not for stuff like this. The fixtures that they install these houses are like the cheapest thing you could buy at a big box uh, hardware store and the the plating because it's certainly not real materials the plating is coming off after about a year or so mm-hmm. and it's, it's like going well they paid this inflated price for this house because you got to recover all these other costs and unfortunately you're going to get taxed on it the house really isn't worth that money it costs that much money but it's not giving that kind of value to the homeowner that's for sure and you're you're going to have to change out uh, the, uh, the the fence, all the fixtures on the outside of the house, the steps are pulling away from the house because it was a shoddy concrete job. Um, you know, you just look around at this stuff. What's their remedy? Nothing except taking it in the shorts. It's a big, it's a big loss for the homeowners. But I can tell you what happens. They're not going to take care of it. And if you look around the neighborhood, they all need painting, all the outside fixtures. And no, I'm not a dirt Nazi that believes people should be forced to do that stuff. But I do try it taking care of my own thing but i'm looking around they've been saddled with a financial yeah liability yeah. they didn't realize that they were getting themselves into you know when i said something to vicky about it last day you know last week i said something about it, it you know it's it's shoddy why aren't we building things to to last at least i mean have some pride in what in what you do because over here it's all cardboard and scotch tape and wrapped in plastic I, you know <laughs> Yeah, I'm serious, Bill. If you could see the million-dollar homes that are built with toothpicks, wrapped, you know, with with just cardboard stapled to it, wrapped in plastic and scotch tape and, you know, a million dollars, please. It's like, where's the pride in that? In a year, it looks like it's been around for 100 years. The paint's peeling, and you know it's it's just an appalling, appalling. It it's disgraceful. Yeah. And you know, well, the answer is well, we can, you know to build it any other way, it's going to be too expensive. What's cheap about the way we're doing it, other than the fact that it's what you're ending up with, spending a lot of money for a very cheap house. Yeah. One that's gonna. It's not. Um, it's not self-sustaining. It's going to require this. I'm not promoting having HOA. Oh, you know, the management companies are going to say, oh, the solution to that is, you know, the HOA, we'll send them a notice of violation letter and we'll charge you for yeah. that. And yeah. we'll start fining them daily and we're going to want to pocket part of that. And they won't threaten them with foreclosure. It's like, no, I don't want to be surrounded by a whole bunch of unhappy people that are being threatened with foreclosure or something like that. I want to be able to take pride in my own place. And that's my decision about my place. But, I think it's really unfair because people it's, it's kind of like the interstate land sales full disclosure act disclosure report I was telling you about. Um, it, it, at least it tells people what the costs are expected to be. And there's liabilities if that's misrepresented to prospective purchasers or actual purchasers. There's nothing like that at this point in time. And it's just sort of, Hey, we'll, um, sure. You know, uh, we'll loan you to buy this place and you don't realize what the actual cost is going to be, um, there's no actual cost of ownership 
um, type of thing because they don't they, they want to do a reserve study on the HOA stuff. Well, why not have something like that on the house? And I think people would be appalled because it's not going to last 30 years and all these fixtures and things are going to have to be replaced. And they, you know, uh, I don't even go on. Anyone that's bought a house knows that they're often, to call them an investment is kind of a joke. It, it's housing. It, it's not a piece of stock. Um, where, where you're, you know, you're supposed to be flipping it every couple of years or something like that. Um, I bought it to raise a family in. I expect to be able to do that. And, you know, this industry tries to prevent you from being able to do that. Um, well, some years ago um, in Reston, Reston is one of the original planned, you know, multi, multi whatever planned places. They've got shops, they've got hotels, they've got hospitals, they've got condos, they've got single-family homes. It's it's a multi, multi-faceted place. Uh, huge. It, it's been trying to become, or there's been talk about it becoming a, a city on its own, and it's big enough to do that. But somebody, a friend of mine who has a condo there and lives there, you know, the the condo, the association's always, oh, well, you know, we're protecting your property values, we're protecting your property values. And in those days, when you looked at your declaration, the first thing it said was, the purpose of this association is to protect property values. That was number one on the declaration. So my friend sent them a letter. He said, I've got a copy of the declaration here. Highlighted, please see the, the first comment. The purpose of this association is to protect property values. So that's the purpose. That's what I'm paying for. Could you yeah. please tell me how you are achieving this? Um, I own stock. I get a portfolio. I get a report on how my stock is doing. So I expect you to be able to send me a report on just how well my investment in this condominium is doing, how my condominium is doing compared to other condominiums in the neighborhood in different, you know, in, in different condominiums, um, size-wise, price-wise, etc., and how well has it tracked. I want to know how well my property is doing compared to non-HOA property. Well, his wife was on the board at the time when the letter arrived, and they had this emergency meeting. And, of course, in those days, they didn't kick board members out. Now they would throw her out and have it ex parte without her knowledge. But the attorney was there, and they just didn't know how to answer that. <laughs> they did not know what to do about it. So they because the law said that you had to get a you had to get a reply within so many business days. So they did. They sent him a reply and they said, We're looking into it and we will get back to you when we have the answer. That was thirty years ago. Well so, so you can see how well we're doing, Bill. Right, not, not very well. Well, a disturbing thing around here is, um, you know, unfortunately people actually believe, uh, and, and there's no empirical support for it, that they preserve property value. But if you look at most of the restricted covenants around here, they actually say they preserve the value of the property, and the property is defined to be the whole subdivision. 
Well, that's nonsense because the whole subdivision isn't ever going to be sold, and that's not really they, there's no, there's nothing to be accomplished from that. That's a myth. How are you? How do you prove that it's being done? What difference does it make if it's being done or not? Because the HOA has does not have the ability to sell the whole subdivision or transfer it, and it doesn't own it. I mean, it it just doesn't even make any sense. Um, and uh, if it were to do that, it would likely be trading off, you know, uh, helping one area while hurting another one in order to accomplish that goal. But that's not something of value to the homeowners. What's the value of the homeowners is their ability to preserve their own, uh, their interest in their own property, not for someone to say, hey, we're going to do this because we're protecting the value of the entire subdivision. That's that's the way that's the interpretation today and the interpretation in those days. And by the way, and they used to just copy the declarations and and just before you had the internet and or before you had computers and you could download a fresh copy, they just photocopied. And if you go to the courthouse and you look through the through the records, you will see the the first one looked pretty clear and then gradually they they got to be really bad that you, you know they they've been photocopied so many times that it was just really atrocious and that's where the boilerplate bit came in because there were no changes they just copied and copied the only changes were the names to the to the association but in those days when they said the purpose of this association is to protect your property values, everybody thought it was their personal property values, and that's the way it was interpreted. That's the way it was written. That was the big lie. And when Thierry did that, all of a sudden, and because all of the people who write these stupid things live around here, and they go, <gasps> we can't do that. So they had to change it. So after that, none of the declarations had that. There was nothing there to say that the purpose of this association is to protect the property values. That went bye-bye. Yeah. That went bye-bye. We know that they don't. In fact, if anything, the HOA brings it down because I know that there's so many. The the problem for people around here is that there's an extreme dearth of non-HOA properties. And... Uh, you know, this is a little bit more rural. Uh, the weird thing is that there's more non-OHE properties available in Austin than there is uh, um, where I am in Hayes County. Um, but the realtors or the real estate agents get asked that question all the time. Hey, I, this is what I want, non-HOE properties. Our real estate agent complained to us for over a year. Well, you're just looking for, you know, the pick one. You want, you know, non-HOE property. That immediately limits your choices. Yeah, it it gets rid of the property we don't want, mm-hmm. which is HOA stuff. The problem is there's not very much non-HOA property around. And it isn't because people want HOA property. It's because they have no choice. Yeah. It's one of the first things that people are looking for, one of, the, one of the highest priority things on their list, non-HOA property. And they also want it to be a half an acre or more out here. Um, I can tell you that the HOA in our subdivision where we came from definitely brought everything down. As uh, some, you know, co- some colleagues in the uh, that live in the area told me, it's like a curse. There's a few of these subdivisions that's like they're cursed. It's like, yeah, and uh, you know, the fact that it has an HOA is not helping it; it hurts it. Yeah. That property would go much quicker if there's no HOA. No, I know. 
Yeah. No, people don't people don't want the HOAs. The people who actually do, and there are a few who do, believe that they're going to be protected. Um, at least that was my experience when I was selling real estate. Not so sure if that's true, but there's a fear that what if? Um, I know I'm, I'm pretty sure I've told the story on the show before, and I may have told you. Got a call from some people down in Virginia, a few few miles, about an hour's an hour's drive south of here, some years ago. Wanting, they were concerned. The developer had built, the, I don't know, 23 houses, or it wasn't a big development. There was one main road. Uh, the state was going to take over the road, and but there was going to be an HOA because there was a retention pond. And um, they were concerned because they wanted to make sure that VDOT actually took over the street and they weren't left having to to maintain it so they had a meeting and I went down there and there was a meeting with the developers representative everybody was there except one person who was on a business trip and I said look you haven't taken over why don't you there's a there's a means of dissolving the HOA you're all here why don't you just go ahead and amend the declaration dissolving the HOA? And the developer's representative was sitting there and her jaw literally hit the ground. It was like, <gasps> oh my God, what is she saying? Of all the people there who were listening very carefully to what I was saying, there was one woman who said, what if my neighbor paints his front door red? I said, so, so your neighbor paints his front door red. What if, What of it? Well, I don't want a red door. You know what? Grow up, lady. So she injected this hint of fear, and I said, are you afraid of a red door? And she said, oh, no, 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 not me. I, I'm not afraid of a red door. But it was enough to interject this fear. What if somebody did something outlandish and outrageous or something I didn't like and I don't want to have to look at? I wouldn't have an HOA to go and complain to. That saved the HOA for the industry. Yeah, I, I know that they constantly use fear at the legislature. I mean, I see this trash put out by their uh, lobbyists who she's been doing this for 20-plus years. She's gotten a lot of trouble lately in a number of lawsuits filed against her class actions for uh, uh, debt collection practices uh, uh, conduct, which, of course, that's their primary. They're like the worst, nastiest debt collectors in the U.S. Because a regular debt collector, um, you know, they don't have, they can't try and take your house from you. Yeah. But these, these guys do, and that's what they threaten you with, to literally extort money from you. But she's. She's in trouble with that right now, but that's what she would do every year at the Capitol. Oh, what if they built a six-foot cross on the front lawn? Of course, they paint this picture. It's like, well, first off, that hasn't happened. Okay, and second off, well, why can't you address it when it happens? But there's no obligation for the HOA to do anything about it. And how, in any way, how does this justify uh, perpetual liens on your house, foreclosure, 
assessments into perpetuity, all the having to get permission for anything you do. How does it justify any of those things? The possibility that someone might do that. You know what? If it's actually prohibited, and it may not be, does your does does your restricted covenant prohibit somebody from having a red door? Well, if it doesn't, then it was kind of a false fear to begin with. It didn't prohibit it. You were never. It was already something that was allowed. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. They, they they don't you know they don't see that and so what so what if there's a red door there, you know why are we wasting time worrying about a cracked uh, flower pot, or dust on a mailbox, or the color of your front door? I, you know, come on, of all the things in the world to get all upset about and excited about, that's what we're worried about. How stupid. No, I know. How incredibly stupid. I, I have one. I'm sure my clients are going to get sued. They've already been threatened. Um, but uh, they have a couple of goats. On, this is rural property. They're on six acres for their own house. And everyone else out there is on lots of similar or larger size. And uh, somebody's having lots of goats. But what's weird about this place is that cattle... And horses are allowed to roam the entire subdivision. It's uh, the HOA is allowed to uh, basically contract or allow anybody else to run horses, cattle, or any kind of livestock over the entire subdivision. It's only the homeowner. Keep in mind, this is the homeowner's property. It's only the homeowners that are precluded from having animals. Now, does that make any sense? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. So they're being. So if you look at the bigger picture, it's not like. There won't be any animals that they're not allowed to have any. It's just that there won't be any animals that they're allowed to have. And they have these two, they're, they're wonderful little goats. Uh, they're, they're funny, they're, they're entertaining, they're, kind of, they're inquisitive, you know. <laughs> um, but the uh, people who don't even live anywhere near them, they live elsewhere in the subdivision, uh, this is one of these places where all the board meetings are conducted at the president's house. Yeah. You know, the whole, and they're going to discuss you this next week, you know, type of a thing. And so that's the kind of environment they're living in. And that's the kind that the best way to deal with them is to completely dismantle uh, the HOA. And unfortunately, you know, along with other neighbors, um, that's, a, that's the first thing the other side's going to use. Oh, well, who's going to protect your values? Who's going to, who's going to do all those things? The funny thing is, the, the reason that the other animals are on there is to allow an ag appraisal valuation for the property so they pay lower property taxes. So the idea that you want to crank up the property values is kind of <laughs> counter to what the whole goal of this animal scheme was to begin with. But I'm sure they're going to use fear and things like that to motivate them. So the other homeowners are going to pay, oh, no, we can't get rid of the HOA. So we're going to have to dismantle it ourselves. And that's what we're going to work on doing. So, Bill, uh, you, this is your this is your client, right? Yeah. All right. I want you to come back and talk about it, but we are out of time now. Okay. Thank you so much. Let us know what happened. Please check out our website at onthecommons.us. On the Commons is produced by OTC Multimedia Productions. Well, I finally bought my dream home to enjoy retirement life. I've made new friends and buddies, lots of parties for my wife. 
It seemed that life was perfect, all my neighbors felt the same. Then along came death by CCRs, life's over, I'm fair game. Those petty rules and regulations, it's enough to make you cry. They're full of woes, no pink flamingos, someone tell us why. Slick managers and lawyers slither close, but they won't tell. Why our dream home should remind us we bought a one-way ticket to hell. Now there's lots of open meetings close to Justice 4HO. Those arrogant board members say what they want you to know. The CAI and ULI will help you lose it all. But I wouldn't sell that dream home yet, the writing's on the wall. Those petty rules and regulations, it's enough to make you cry. They're full of woes, no pink flamingos, someone tell us why. Slick managers and lawyers slither close, but they won't tell. Why our dream home should remind us, we bought a one-way ticket to hell. Not afraid or stupid, all your threats mean nothing here. Time marches on, soon you'll be gone, united we'll be there. So put your rules and CCRs up where the sun don't shine. And enjoy those precious golden years, stop messing around with mine. Those petty rules and regulations, it's enough to make you cry. They're full of woes, no pink flamingos, someone tell us why. Slick managers and lawyers slither close, but they won't tell. Why our dream home should remind us we bought a one-way ticket to hell. Why our dream home should remind us we bought a one-way ticket to hell.